Our priest is a dying man. The dying men, women, youth. And I will preach as though I will never preach again. So God, God has his reasons for why he saves us in stages. Sanctifies us slowly, makes us fill up every day at his pump. Lest we forget where the gas comes from. Welcome to Follow Me to Heaven, where God's word is truth and your questions matter. So we are in Ephesians, we're in chapter 2, and at this time today, we're going to be focusing on verses 14 through 16, so just three verses. But there's a lot packed in here in these three verses that I believe would be good to focus on today. So Ephesians chapter 2, 14 through 16, but let me just recap what we've talked about so far. So back in chapter 1, we get the greeting of Paul. We get his doxology, right? So this praise, right? He's praising the Father. He's praising the Son. And he's also praising the Holy Spirit. And blessing God. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's in verse 3. Verse 7. We see in Him, talking about Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace. Right? So now we're getting to praising the Son. And then... Later on, we get the praise of the Holy Spirit where we are told in verse 13 of chapter 1, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. So praise God for the triune work of His salvation. Um, and then we get to His thanksgiving uh, for the people, for their faith. He's actually thanking God for their faith. And then we get to chapter 2 where he starts mentioning how we are saved and we are saved by grace. And this is done. And not only that, we are also told that we are raised up with him and seated us with him. So this is now in him in the pl heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward, uh, toward us in Christ Jesus. And then again he reemphasizes that for by grace you have been saved through faith. And we start getting into that we are all one in Christ, right? So that's what we're focusing on today um, and how God did this. How did God do this, right? So we talked about last time about at one time the Gentiles in the flesh who basically are the ones that he's writing to. It says, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. So the uncircumcision are the Gentiles, the circumcision group, are the Jews. These are the Jews that were given the covenants, that were given the promise, that were given um, the worship, right? And all of that, and even within all of that, they were still separated. Why? Because of 
them not believing in Christ alone for their salvation, right? In Romans chapter 10, it tells us that the Jews tried to establish their own righteousness. So they set aside God's righteousness and they, they tried to establish their own, but they were unable to do that and are unable to do that. And so are we, right? So not only the uh, Jews, but also us because of what he mentions in Romans 3, where we're all, all of us, not good. We've all fallen short from the glory of God. So there's a problem there. So let's read. We're going to read from verses 11 all the way to the end of that chapter, of chapter 2. And we're going to dig in verses 14 through 16. So it says, Therefore, Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him were both, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So yeah, there is a lot in there. Again, I know I always say that, but it is true. There is so much in there that we can unpack. So let's... Uh, Let's start off with verse 14. So it says, For he himself is our peace. All right, let's stop there. What's going on there? Who is our peace? Jesus, right? So we, we're talking about Christ, right? Verse 12, it says, Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, so in 13, it says, In Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of his but by the blood of Christ for he himself. So this is in reference to Christ. And what did he do? He himself is our peace. So you see Paul mentioning that Jesus is now present tense, our. So he's joining himself who he was a Jew. He even says that he was from the tribe of Benjamin. And he says that he is our peace. So the Gentiles and the Jews both have one peace or can have this peace. And this peace comes from 
the same person and this person is jesus so that's what is being said here but if you guys have your bibles or want to just write this down and read it later in isaiah if you go to isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 uh this is one of the uh famous passages that people read uh when it comes during the time of christmas right so this is one of those common uh passages that are read during that time uh during christmas and this is what it says in verse 6 of chapter 9 in isaiah for to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace so Jesus here is being referenced as the Prince of Peace, or in his time, it's speaking to us a child that is going to be born, a son is given, right? So you know this is going to be a male, a man, and one of his names that is given to him is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So this is what we want to focus on right now, the Prince of Peace. So what does that mean? What is Prince, right? So what does it mean when it says Prince of Peace? You can basically translate it as chief or ruler. You can also say captain. So he's the captain of peace or the chief of peace. So if you want peace, you will get it in one person. And this person is Christ, right? Because he did something, right? Jesus reconciles us to God. Right, Romans 5, we are told that therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. So how do we have peace with God? Well, by this faith. Faith in who? Not faith in faith, but faith in Christ. Right? It's not that you must have enough faith in this faith that will grant you this justification before God. No, it says faith in Christ. So this is how we have peace. And what kind of peace is this? This is the shalom peace, <clears throat> the eternal peace that we get. Who are we in enmity with then? What is this peace that we're getting from? Why do we receive peace? Were we at some point without peace? Well, scripture tells us that the wrath of God was on us. God actually hated the sinner. But even within that, right? So in the book of Psalms, <clears throat> the book of Psalms, there's many places where we can see God's anger, you could say, towards all of those. Listen to this, what it says in chapter 5 in Psalm, verse 4. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. All evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. 
Not only does God hate these people, he also abhors them. Right? So so we have to put that into perspective and recognize that that at one time we were on the opposite side. God hated us. Didn't like us. Why? Well, because we sinned against him. We sinned against the Lord, and that's why Scripture mentions that he is a jealous God. Why is he a jealous God? Well, we are his creatures, and we are made in his image. So we are to glorify him and bring glory to him. But what have we done? Well, we sinned against him. That's basically putting ourselves above him. And what God is doing here through Christ is showing his mercy and grace. And by showing this mercy and grace, we now receive this peace with God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, it says in Romans. So, now we see how much beautiful the gospel is, right? The God once had his wrath on us and now no longer has his wrath on us. Well, that wrath had to be appeased somewhere and he didn't just toss it um, into the sky. No, it actually fell on Christ. That's the whole purpose of being a Christian is that we identify ourselves with Christ and what he has done on the cross. And that's what is being mentioned here, that this peace, we receive it through Christ. So Psalm 1611, right, it tells us that in his presence there is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's this peace, right? This is this peace that we get when we put our faith in Christ, when we trust him and have repented, turned from our sins because our sin is what actually brought us to this point of God hating us. So, let's continue reading. It says in Ephesians verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So, what is Paul saying here? Well, if you guys remember in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 9, Listen to what, what it says. It says, Making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And what is it? Right, verse 10. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, which is Christ. Things in heaven and things on earth. So what is Christ doing? Well, he's reconciling everything to himself. That's what he's doing. He's bringing unity but here it's talking about this reconciliation between us and God, right? It says, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So there is a dividing wall between us that we could not get past. And what Christ does, he abolishes it, destroys it completely. And how does he do that? Well, verse 15. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances. So, what is being told there? If you guys can uh, flip to Romans 3. Romans 3.31, I want to read something really quick. Or write, write it down. You can write it down too and then 
like I said, go back later. But Paul is mentioning about the righteousness of God that we get through our faith. And then at the end, he tells us, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? Right? So, so is the law nullified then? Well, it says here, by no means, on the contrary, we uphold the law. So what does that mean? Well, studying this and reading through this, I was reading it through the uh, NLT, which is the New Living Translation. And this is what it says in the NLT. It makes it a little bit clearer to understand uh, what Paul is saying, right? So verse 31 of chapter 3 in Romans, it says, and this is the NLT. Well, then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. So by this faith, the law is fulfilled. But who fulfilled the law for us? Christ. So this faith that we put in Christ, we identify with him in all that he has done. Not that we did it, but he did it. And this is why he is deserving and worthy of all praise. So that's what's happening, and that's what Christ did. He broke down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances. And by doing so, it says later, it says that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. So again, we get this word, right? This peace that we are receiving, whenever Christ did what he did on that cross. So, we are saved by faith and faith alone. So there's no works, there's nothing that we do in order to merit salvation. But instead, Christ did it all and we identify with him whenever we put our faith in him. We recognize him and we bow our knee, right? We confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead we will be saved, it says in Romans. So, that's what happened. We actually fulfill the law. We uphold the law by this faith. Because our faith is put in Christ. Christ alone and what he has done on the cross. This is the gospel. This is what he did for us, right? We deserve none of this. So, praise God for his finished work. On a cross and he's putting all of his enemies under his feet all of them let's continue reading and he says verse 15 by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself a new man in place of the two so making peace and my reconcile us both so us both, who is the us both? Well, it's the Jews and the Gentiles reconciling them to, to God. It says, in one body, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So again, there's this idea of there's this hostility amongst us and God. And not only that, amongst us each other, right? Before Christ, we cannot say brothers and sisters, right? But in Christ, all of us who are in Christ, we are now brothers and sisters. We are reconciled to each other because we are reconciled to God. So that's this idea. 
God creating a new man, right, in Christ. And that is us, the church, right? We are one body, Scripture mentions. And because we are one body, there should not be hostility amongst each other. That's why Christ tells us that we are to love one another. How will the world know that we are his disciples? Well, through our love for one another, it says. So, is there a brother or sister that you're mad at or angry at or you do not want to talk to for a couple of days? Well, shake that off. Because scripture tells us that we are reconciled to each other by the blood of his cross. We are reconciled to God through that. And because of that, we can have peace with each other as well. So we are to love one another. How, how can we sharpen one another if we're always hostile to each other? Right? Rebuke is a good thing. If you need rebuking, then take it as love because what it should do is should bring us to Christ it should bring us closer to God and asking him for forgiveness knowing he will forgive us right but scripture says right shall we continue to sin so that grace may abound by no means right no how can we say that we are dead to sin and continue sinning we are to stop. We are to turn away from that. We are to come to God and trust Him completely and fully. Yes, we will fall into sin. But that does, not, that does not mean that we are to dwell there. We don't walk in that anymore. We are dead to that. We are to continue putting to death all of that. Right? So there's this idea that we have enmity with God, right? So thereby killing the hostility. Well, this hostility or enmity, it basically means the enmity of man to God, right? So James 4.4 tells us that the friendship with the world is enmity with God. So by being friends of the world, we are making ourselves enemies of God. And you see why... We need Christ, because apart from Christ, we are God's enemies. Which is why he has to create a new man. We have to be made alive. Jesus says that no one can see the kingdom of God unless we are born again. We, are, we need to be born again. Philippians 3.19. If you guys are writing all of this down, write down Philippians. 319. This is uh, pretty important also to read in Philippians. So this is what it says in Philippians 319. It says, their end is destruction. So let's read verse 18. For many of whom I am often told, or of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ, right? So many of them walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So this is to have a mind set on earthly things, right? So what is 
this basically saying? Well, friendship with the world causes us to do this, causes us to look at earthly things. And then what does Paul say later in verse 20 in Ephesians chapter 3? It says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So, again, we get this idea that that their end, all of those who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ, their end is destruction. It says, their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame. Right? So, with minds set on earthly things. So, we should not have this kind of mind. We should set our minds on heavenly things. Things of above. Right? Colossians. Colossians 3. Verses 2 through 6. So Colossians 3 verses 2 through 6. It says. Set your minds on things that are above. Not on things that are on the earth. Or on earth. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears. Then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death. Therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So, the wrath of God is coming on all of that that is mentioned. Because all of that has to do with us not setting our minds on God. It's setting our minds on earthly things, but that has been abolished, right? We are dead to this world. We are born again. We are children of God. So praise God for all of that. And I would say just continue reading and saturate yourself with God's word. Ask him for understanding of his word and begin to understand this, this unity that Christ brings through the cross and what the cross represents because that's our sin that he is that is God's wrath is being poured on right so uh, Jesus drank that cup right he asked the father three times to take this cup away but not his will but the father's will and it did not pass him. And it is as if he drank that cup and finished it to the last drop. And that was our wrath. It's supposed to fall on us. Instead, Christ stepped in our place and became our substitute. So he atoned for us. And now we can be reconciled to God through that. So Christ brings this unity amongst us and God and also us amongst each other. Love one another. Because by loving one another, we are obeying what Christ tells us to do. And through that, the world will see that we are truly his disciples. This is Follow Me to Heaven with Jonathan Romero. 